Hey, good morning. Good to see y'all here today watching online. Thanks so much for joining us wherever you're watching from. Hey, we appreciate you tuning in live. If you are watching this on demand, thank you so much. You just got off work. Uh, you're watching this. It's uh, whatever day in the week. Thanks for coming back and watching our service. Hope it's a blessing to you today. Hey, it's going to be a great service today. I don't know about you, but um, I'm feeling good like I should. You know, it's copyright. I want to sing all of it. You know what I mean? So, hey, uh, good to have y'all here. Hey, we're in a series called The Gift, and it's all about the gifts that Jesus received. And uh, I love our church because we're a very generous church. Uh, as a matter of fact, so many of you have been gracious to me and given me gifts. Now, I make no, no qualms about it. I'm a Denver Broncos fan. Are we always amazing? No. Uh, I will say the year that I prayed for them every Sunday was the year we won the Super Bowl. I'm just saying that's what happened, all right? But uh, through the years, I've received some pretty amazing uh, gifts. Uh, people have brought me Denver Broncos mugs, uh, coffee mugs, which I love. I've gotten Denver Broncos pencils and pens. Uh, one time someone gave me a Denver Broncos chapstick, which I thought was really cool. But the... Um, Crazy thing about it, when you looked at it, it was actually made east of Boga, Alabama. So I was like, I was like that's kind of hilarious. Uh, but I've gotten that. I've gotten like football cards. I even had like a signed football. It's amazing. But the one thing that God has not laid on anyone's heart yet, I'm just tossing this out there online, is no one has bought me a pair of tickets to go to a game. And I'm just saying like, we'll go to Denver together. I'll show you around. We'll have a great time. So I'm just throwing that out there in case the Lord leaves that on anyone heart to watch a Denver game together, that would, that would, and you know, you would be on my all-time list, you know what I'm saying, like you would be up there, so I'm just saying, right, Jesus received some gifts as well as a child, and you think about this as the wise man in Matthew, it says that when they saw the star, and when they, that is the wise men, when the wise men saw the star, they were filled with joy, these were guys who studied the stars, and so it took them a little while to get to where Jesus actually was. And so, and then in verse 11 says, and when they entered the house, so you know that Jesus wasn't at the stable, he wasn't in a barn, wasn't in a manger, he was at the home. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Now think about that. You're Mary, you know, you've been told by the Holy Spirit that your child is the son of God. And now here you have some men showing up to your house and now they're worshiping your child. I mean, this has got to be a really just crazy mind-boggling thing. It says, and they opened up their treasure chest and they gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, uh, I'd like to thank, you know, you hear like Jesus is probably about two at this age. You hear about terrible twos. I can tell you from experience, three was worse than two. And then I got to four and my oldest is 12. And I'm wondering like, when does it get any better? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know when it gets easier. I think 18 when they leave, right? That's what, I don't know. Like it just, it gets, it's a little crazy. And here you have Jesus. Now this is not in scripture, but I like to think this way, all right? Again, this is my opinion. And since it's not in the Bible, I'm just giving you my opinion of what happens. But Jesus's mom is there at the Jewish park with all the other ladies. They're hanging out, chilling. And all the little toddlers are running around playing. 
but Jesus is also fully God and fully man at the same time. So kids are getting like hurt in the playground, scraping their knees. Jesus walks over, touches the knees and like, boom, the scrape is gone, right? Like a kid is bleeding, he goes over, boom, and it's gone. And like, and the moms don't know because moms, what happened when you get around other moms? You're talking, as long as your kids are alive, as long as you hear them screaming, you don't pay attention to them, right? And Jesus is just healing like little babies left and right. Now, I don't know if that's what happened, but I'm just saying he was healing. He had to practice somewhere, right? And so he was practicing at the playground about two years old. I just think that's, I don't know, that's just me. I think it's cool. I like to think that way about what's not in the Bible, but we're just, we're just thinking through logically it had to happen. And Jesus received some gifts, and these gifts were extremely generous, but each gift was actually like prophetic because it would actually uh, portray something about Jesus' life. Last week we talked about frankincense, and frankincense was used by the high priest as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord, and frankincense symbolized Jesus as our high priest. In other words, he's the one that goes to God on our behalf. Like he intercedes for us and he's ultimately the one who speaks on our behalf to God. Next week, we're gonna talk about gold and that symbolizes the kingship of Jesus, that Jesus was and is the king. And then today we're gonna talk about myrrh and myrrh represents Jesus as that suffering servant or we would kind of call him the lamb of God. Now, the interesting thing about myrrh of all the gifts is that it was an embalming oil typically used for someone who was dead. You would embalm them in myrrh. Now imagine you're throwing a baby shower and you got all these gifts and you're opening all these gifts and there's people taking pictures, Instagramming it up, right? And you're like, diapers, thank you so much. And you're like, diapers, thank you so much. And it's like, diaper size four, thank you for thinking ahead, right? And you're opening things and you're like, oh, here's the, here's the little basket elephant koala thing that you want, the rocker or whatever. And then you get to that one gift and you're like, golly, this is from Aunt Betty, you just know that she's there and she's being weird, but you felt like you had an inviter and you open up the gift and it's formaldehyde. <laughs> and she's like, for when he dies later on, it'll save you some money at the funeral. And you're like, thank you, Aunt Betty. Uh, don't invite her ever again, right? Don't send her a thank you note. Thank you for that, right? That was essentially the gift that Jesus received uh, from Myrrh. That's really what they're kind of giving them. It's like, hey, I know you just had a baby. I know he's two years old. You're just thinking about all these things, uh, but he's gonna die one day, right? I mean, can you imagine that for a second? But ultimately, Jesus was born to die. All of us were born and we will die, but Jesus had a purpose in his death and that's super important. So this is kind of our main thought for today and, and uh, I believe it would be very powerful. When you fully understand Jesus's death, you live differently. Like when you fully understand Jesus's death, you live differently. Now in the South, we all love football. And uh, right now, if you are an Alabama fan, you have to enjoy this season, all right? Y'all are, y'all are in, in an incredible season. And let's just be honest, your kids are gonna grow up not experiencing this season when they're adults, all right? They're gonna grow up, you're gonna be older, and you'll be like, I remember back when Nick Saban won every championship, every year, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, thanks, Dad, but now we're horrible, da-da-da, Vanderbilt's good, you know, like, or whatever. <laughs> Do you see how we all laugh? Because we know online, Vanderbilt will never be good. You guys are our future doctors and stuff, all right? Uh, but anyways, 
Um, we love football in the South, right? We love it. Now imagine this. We already know the four teams in the playoffs. But imagine if I told you, hey, here are the two teams that are going to be in the championship. And this is going to be the final score. Now you might be like, listen, pastor, I don't do that Caesar sports betting. But I might, if like you for real, you think like God gave you this. I might do that, right? Throw down like a hundo over here. Make a little something, right? Like imagine if I gave that to you and I predicted who would win. That would be pretty crazy. And especially if I got the final score right, that would be like, wow, that's, that's pretty incredible. But anyone could get kind of lucky like that. So imagine Jesus doesn't come back 50 years down the road. And then I predict to you this, hey, here's the college football playoffs. There's gonna be 28 teams in it. And you're like, 20, whatever, right? Like 28 teams. I tell you all 28 teams. I tell you the score for all of them. And then I tell you who's gonna win. And then I tell you the final score. Now, 50 years from now, I'll be, I'll be 87, all right? Now, I probably won't be the lead pastor here anymore. But it might be one of those things where like, all right, let Pastor Daniel come up. He said he had to share something with the church, right? And I get on up, I'll be 87. I'm like, do you guys remember when I said 50 years ago, who would be in the championship, right? Like, could you, ima like, could you imagine that? Like, it's like crazy, Pastor Dan, I'm like, go back and look in the archives, right? Like, I predicted it. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? But when you understand Jesus' death, you live differently. This is exactly what the prophet Isaiah did 700 years before Jesus was even alive. He predicted some things that he spoke that actually came true. And when you think about that, it's incredible that someone can say something and then it actually take place. And so we're gonna look at two thoughts this morning out of Isaiah chapter 53. It's the longest uh, set of prophecy we have outside of the book of Jeremiah. Isaiah is writing to a group of people who are exiled in something called the Babylonian captivity. You can look that up in history that actually happened. And so the nation of Israel is torn apart. So I wanna look at first off our problem, our problem as people. And if you're uh, following online, check this out in verse six. Isaiah writes, all of us are like sheep and we have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Now, <clears throat> he says we are like sheep. Now, I think that's really interesting. Now, I grew up in the military, so I didn't grow up on a farm, but all my, all my dad's family, they live in Montana and Wyoming. And one of my favorite things growing up as a kid was to go to my Uncle Jim's house. Now, my uncle is technically my, my great uncle. It's my, it's my grandfather's brother-in-law. But Uncle Jim's house, I love going there. I actually have a picture of him. This was classic Uncle Jim, all right? Just, I don't know why he's got a, a barber chair in his house. He probably cut his own hair, judging by his haircut there. Uh, but Uncle Jim was, this is classic look. Now as an adult, I realize my uncle's a redneck. I just didn't know it at the time, all right? And so here he is, like, a, this is what the rednecks look like out west, all right? 
And so he had a farm in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I actually have a picture of the farm, all right? Now, again, this is out west. It's not luscious and green like down south. But he had a 10-acre farm, and I would love going to visit him because when we went there, we got to go pick all the eggs from the chickens, and that was a lot of fun, and then, like, actually eat them. I remember one year he had, like, two massive pigs that he was obviously he was going to slaughter, and it was cool to see pigs. But then he had, like, sheep. All right. Now, um, I don't know if you're a sheepologist, uh, but I've done a little bit of study of sheepcology. You guys know about the sheepcology. Uh, but I've done a little study on sheep, and sheep are dumb. All right. That's just the truth. Uh, they're, they're really stupid. Uh, you can't uh, protect sheep. As a matter of fact, because they're so wooly, when <laughs> we got kids in the room, but when they poop, it sticks to them, all right? It sticks all over them. They can't wipe themselves, which is hilarious because you think they, they're like full of toilet paper, really. Like it's a whole bushel of toilet paper. But anyways, it sticks to them and they're gross and they smell and, and they're prone to wander. They're defenseless. They cannot protect themselves against anybody. It's not like their wool is steel. Steel wool? All right, no, that was, that was dumb. Uh, you see, I'm, I'm going to turn 38 in a few weeks and... And the dad jokes get worse online, all right? I don't, they just naturally flow out like I, I cannot help it, all right? So they're, they're just really stupid. Here's what Isaiah is saying. You are like a sheep. He's really saying, it's an analogy to say, you, you're an idiot. You're dumb. You're helpless. Now, growing up, uh, you know, like I said, I come from like conservative Baptist background. That's like, them guys like, that's good, preacher. Give it to me. Tell me how dumb I am. That's what my wife says all the time, pastor. I'm stupid, right? Like it's one of those, tell me, boy. Yeah, this is good stuff. Amen, right? That's, that's literally what Isaiah is saying. He's like, you are helpless. You can't do anything on your own. It says, here is God's path, and you go on your own path. That's literally what he says. But then Isaiah says, but all of the sin was placed on God. Now, you have to remember, this is 700 years before it would actually happen. So Jesus fulfills prophecy literally 700 years old, not including all the other prophecies that we're even gonna talk about today. So we have a problem, but then God has a solution. So this is his solution. Listen to what happens in verse seven. It says that he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. And when you read in the New Testament, when you read in the gospels, when Jesus is going through the trials and it says, like Pilate says to him, do you have nothing to say to me? And Jesus said, he says, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, you said it. Like Jesus literally says nothing. And it says he was led like a what? He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Sheep don't know when they're about to be killed. If a sheep knew what was about to happen to itself, it wouldn't go where you were leading it. And it says that Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And it says, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. In other words, as Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter, Jesus became a sheep to take the place of the sheep. 
We're the sheep he's taken the place for. And so this is our punishment that he took on himself. And it says he was despised and rejected. And when we fully comprehend his death, we understand that we don't take our faith casually anymore. Like Sunday is not one of those things like, I don't know if I might, I might do it today. I might pray today. I might read my Bible. But when we fully understand what Jesus did for us, that meaning takes on whole new life in our life. And we want to do something very differently. And so here, Jesus knew I would be the final sacrifice when we knew that should be us, the one who should be sacrificed. So we celebrate Christmas, but the whole purpose of Christmas is to lead to Easter, which is what we celebrate, which is important. And so Jesus in the garden, it says he was praying and he asked God what? If there's any other way, he says, Take this away from me. Because Jesus being fully God understood what was about to happen to him. And if you were to understand what was about to happen to you, you might be praying the same thing. But then Jesus says what? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And as Jesus was led away, he was betrayed. We see in scripture where he was stripped, he was beaten, he was humiliated. They took a crown of thorns onto his head and they dressed him as a king. And it says they mocked him. They're literally mocking Jesus. And then as he goes on, it says, actually Isaiah in another passage, says that Jesus was barely recognizable as a man. And for those of you who have ever seen the passion, I think it puts into, in, into picture what the words actually say. It's the closest, I think, of the description. And, and people in this day and this culture watched this and enjoyed it. That type of barbaric activity was common. And yet Jesus goes through all of this and then he takes his 100 pound beam and he's going down to Golgotha. He can't even carry it the whole way himself. Nine inch nails put into his wrists, into his feet, pulling himself up to breathe. Who does that? purposefully, like if you know what prophecy says, who wants to walk through that intentionally, which is exactly what Jesus does, walks through it intentionally. And as he's there, God turns his back on Jesus because of all the sin that was placed on him. And Jesus cries out, why have you forsaken me? God, why have you forsaken me? And he calls out, it is finished and it is done. Listen, Isaiah, 700 years before this would happen. Listen to what he writes in verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And when you understand Jesus' death, you live differently. You see, Isaiah, when he writes this, he's writing to predominantly a Jewish culture, not understanding that his writing actually had a greater meaning. That when he says our, he's talking about you and me, us, all of humanity. And it says that we turned our backs on God. 
we were the ones that were like seeing Jesus suffer and we turned away like, no, I have nothing to do with this. We thought it was all his own, but it was really our punishment. He did all of that so that we could find life and healing. And this is why it's important. This prophecy is 700 years, but that's not including all the other prophecies, including where Jesus would be born in Bethlehem and that his mother would be a virgin. Now, this is important. This is a key doctrinal uh, foundation of our faith. Jesus had to be born of a virgin. If it wasn't a virgin, then everything we're doing here today is a lie. He did not have Adam's seed. He did not have the seed of man. He became from the Holy Spirit into Mary. And it's important to know that Joseph and Mary did not know each other until after they had Jesus. And so here you have this born of a virgin. says he never sinned in scripture, but yet he was going to suffer on our behalf. He understood all of this. And you think about every single prophecy that was being fulfilled by Jesus time and time and time again. It would be like hitting the lottery over a hundred different times. Could you imagine that happening? It doesn't happen. It cannot happen unless it was completely God. Listen what he says in verse 8. It says, he was unjustly condemned and he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. His life was cut short midstream. Think about that. In that culture, for Jewish people, their, their heritage was all about the children that came after them. Jesus was never married. He never knew a woman. And so it said he had no descendants. And it says that no one even cared that his life was cut short midstream. You know, uh, one of our greatest receivers that played for the Denver Broncos, his name is Demarius Thomas. And just this past week, they found him dead in his apartment or in his house uh, right over in Georgia from seizures. He died. He would turn 34 on Christmas. His life was cut too short. And when you think about people whose life is cut too short, we say like, hey, their life was cut short. Jesus was in the prime of his life, 33 years old when he would die. And it says his life was cut short midstream. He didn't even get to live out the longevity of his life. It says, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He'd never deceived anyone. He was buried like a criminal and he was put in a rich man's grave. And this is important too. Joseph of Arimathea, when you read in scriptures, he was a very wealthy Pharisee who was actually a follower of Jesus. And when Jesus was killed, he asked for the body of Jesus. Joseph being very wealthy, already had a tomb that was cut out of rock, which is important to note that only wealthy people were buried in tombs. Everyone else was just put into, a, into the ground. And so here is this rock that was cut out. It was a brand new tomb, ultimately for his family. No one had ever used it before. So killed like a criminal, buried like a king. And so they put him into this tomb. But listen to what it says in verse 10. Isaiah, now writing this, again, 700 years before Jesus would actually go through this. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Literally God's plan was to crush Jesus. To crush him. And yet when his life is made as an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. In other words, Jesus died without descendants, but through his death, 
you and I, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, it actually says we become the dependent, we're adopted into the family, we become the descendants of God, we become the heirs, we're the ones who receive the inheritance. And when he sees that all is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. You see, in Jesus' anguish, he will be satisfied, it says. Like in taking on all of our sin, he knows what he's doing, but he ultimately sees the long road. He understands that his death will actually bring life. And it says, because of his experience, this righteous servant will be made possible for many to be counted righteous. In other words, all of us predicting 700 years to a Jewish culture, not understanding that Gentiles, all of us, would actually have a a place in the family of God, said he will make place for that all of us to be counted as righteous if we give our faith and trust to God. It says he will bear the weight of all of our sins. This is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. When you look at all the different world religions, none of them have a savior taking the place of everyone else and dying on their behalf through a bloody death and then saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one else does that. This person was completely innocent. And there's like, hey, you got to pray, you got to do these things. And Jesus says, this is a free gift. I will just give it to you. God became flesh, lived for 33 years, and he lived and died and he conquers death. Literally conquers death. And these wise men, they bring these gifts and it foreshadows what was going to take place in Jesus' life. Listen, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9. I think this is important because he's going to tie in passages from Isaiah 53. He says, the son of man must suffer many terrible things. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer many terrible things. And he will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Now, I think this is incredible. Jesus says, I'm going to die, but three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. Now, literally, he's like, I'm going to die. Don't freak out. Three days later, I'm going to rise from the dead. I will be alive. What happens? They see Jesus die. And what do the disciples do? They freak out. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? Our leader is dead. They go to the tomb. On the third day, what should they be thinking? Jesus is going to be alive. They show up to the tomb. They're like, where's Jesus' body? Who stole him? Where did he go? What are we going to do? And Jesus is like, I, 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 do you... Do, do you remember when I said I was going to die and then three days later I was going to rise from the dead? Why is it that they didn't understand? Because you and I are sheep. We were told the answer and yet we still don't believe the answer. Jesus says, then he looks to the crowd. He says, if, if anyone wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. What did Isaiah say? He says, we left God and we went down our own paths. 
And Jesus ties that back in. He says, no, if you want to follow me, then you got to give up your path and you got to follow me. He says, take up your cross daily and follow me. It's all about denial of yourself. See, when we understand Jesus' death fully, we will live differently. See, in our context today, Christmas is over-commercialized, over-contextualized. And the thing that we were freaking out, I don't know if you've been reading like the news and stuff, but like the thing that we were freaking out about was supply shortages for gifts. There won't be enough gifts. There won't be enough supplies. We're not gonna have enough on Christmas. And the problem is in our society, in our culture, there is a Jesus shortage. And when you read through everything about Jesus's birth, he's like, this is what's gonna happen and it's gonna be okay. Like I can imagine the first time like Jesus shows up in the room with all the disciples. They're freaking out like, what are we gonna do? Jesus is gone, we can't find his body. He shows up, he's alive and he's like, hey, uh, remember when I said I was gonna die and I was gonna rise from the dead three days later? Why are you worried? I literally told you what I was gonna do and then I did it and you still don't believe Touch my side, touch my hands, and see that I am alive. And here we are, 2,000 years later, we're following after like Jesus, we're saying all these things, and what are we doing as people? We're sheep and we're freaking out. There's this Omicron, and it's gonna kill all of us. And Jesus is like, I know Omicron, I knew Delta, and I knew Zeta, Theta, and all the rest of them ate us. And none of them are gonna kill you. Why? Because I have to come back. I have to fulfill prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet. And we're freaking out like, you don't know what's going on. And Jesus is like, I already know it. And I wrote the book on it. You don't understand. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You don't see what we're going through and we're freaking out. And why aren't you here? Why aren't you helping? I already figured it out. Stop freaking out. Stop doing this to yourself. But you don't know. That's why I became a sheep, to take the place of sheep who still won't get it because you're a sheep. And Jesus is like, do you understand what I've already done for you? And we're acting like he has no idea what he's doing. But when we fully understand Jesus' death, we live differently. And so maybe this Christmas, what we do as a family is we just take some time and we read about the birth of Jesus and we help instill in our kids why, why he was born so he could die for us. And when we give gifts, it's a picture that God first gave to us. And so they hate giving gifts and this is fun and they may not get it, but this is a picture of what God has done for us. And this gift is temporary. It doesn't last forever, but, but the gift of Jesus will be forever. Listen to what Isaiah says. He closes out, remember, 700 years before Jesus would even be born. says, and I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels and he bore the sins of many and interceded for who? The rebels. We're the rebels. He intercedes on our behalf for the ultimate sacrifice. And Jesus says, I don't want some of your life. I want all of it. 
And the reason why I follow God today is, and the reason why I'm a pastor today because he called me is because when I fully understood Jesus' death, I wanted to live my life differently. And I said, God, I don't want you to just have part of my life. I want you to have all of my life. And whatever that looks like, that's what I'm gonna do. And the reason why I married my wife, uh, Aaron, is because when I talked to her, I said, listen, we live in Alabama today. I might not live in Alabama tomorrow. And so if you're gonna marry me, you have to understand that me following Jesus comes first. And she said, that's what I wanna do. I wanna follow God with my life, with all of it. And for us today in our culture, how much of our life actually belongs to God? Do we say like, well, I, Jesus has my life and like, here we are on Sunday, you're watching online, but he's got this part of it. But the Monday through Friday, this stuff, I'm gonna figure out on my own. And we're worried about everything that we have going on and Jesus is like, I, I already have this figured out for you. And we're worried because we don't think he actually understands or we go through a tough time, we go through some valley of the shadow of death and we're freaking out and God's like, you know, you don't have to freak out because I'll be with you. And you're like, but no, I have to walk through this valley of the shadow of death. He's like, I know, I'm setting that up for you and I'll be with you, but you don't understand. How much longer will we be like a sheep? So Jesus takes our place as a sheep. And then he says, I don't want some of your life. I want all of it. What I've given to you, it's everything. For those of us who have a relationship with God, he has given us all of the inheritance, it's ours. Eternity with the Father, when we were separated from Him, when we didn't even deserve Him, He's like, give it all to you. There's no magic prayer you have to do. It's not about raising your hand. You're here, you're watching online. You're like, yeah, but how do I have that relationship with God? It's not even about walking down front from just your heart to God's. It says in Scripture that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved, can have faith. It's not by any works, it's not about doing anything, but just simply running to the Father. Our heart needs a surgeon and we have one through Jesus and that is only available through Him. And so maybe you're here today, you need to put your faith and trust in Christ. Maybe you're here and you're a believer, but you need to do some inventory and understand how much of His death do you really understand? And if you understand it, how are you living for Him what part of your life have you not given to him? Fear, anxiety, worry, what is it? You fill in that blank and he says, I will cover it. And then we just trust and we follow. But as long as you continue to hold tight onto that part of your life, you cannot expect God to bless that part of your life. And all that you hold on to is all that you will have and it's all that you will ever have. But the moment we can open up our life to him, you will find a world that's beyond your comprehension, but it's only made possible through Jesus. Will you pray?